How's everybody doing? Woo, you're, you're dry at least. That's good. Um, it feels like Easter Sunday under here, doesn't it? Um, you know, it's uh, one of the great things about being uh, together uh, for one service, uh, even if it is outside underneath a tent uh, with the threat of rain. Um, it's just kind of cool to see everybody that you don't normally see, right, in all of our services. And um, how many of you have seen people today you forgot they come to our church? That's good, isn't it? Um, and it's also cool because, uh, you know, we tell people, hey, we are a, uh, a large and growing church. And uh, it's kind of hard to see that from week to week with the three different services. But um, that's what makes uh, uh, this all-in campaign meeting that we have coming up so important and so exciting. For those of you who are brand new, again, uh, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here in the future, uh, sign up for that on your Connect card and show up uh, this coming Friday night. We're actually, if you have no idea what we're talking about, uh, we're actually going to be building uh, a brand new building right over there in the field where a lot of you park, kind of the back half, and uh, it'll seat uh, about 450, 500 people. And uh, there's like 300, well, I think we have about 275 chairs underneath this. So uh, think about a building about four times this size. And uh, so it's going to be exciting. Uh, somebody said, well, Pastor Chris, when we move into the new building, you know, are you ready just for one service? And I said, well, right off the bat, we're going to have two services, but I can't wait to the day when we have four services and five services, and uh, we fill that up and have to figure out what we're going to do next. Um, well, today we are in uh, week five of At The Movies, and even though we're outside, we don't have the big marquee up, we wanted to go ahead and continue with this series. Uh, finally, I want you to know, though, finally, my summer, watch, my summer movie watching experience has been redeemed. Um, it's not that all the other movies were awful, but really a test of the movie is, can I stay awake during the entire movie? And I don't know if it's age or the movies I've seen, but it's been a little difficult to be honest with you. Um, but uh, raise your hand if you saw the movie Edge of Tomorrow. Anybody seen that? Okay, if, man, does anybody go see movies around here? I'm the only one that's seen movies for, for this series. Um, but this is a good movie, and I did. I actually uh, stayed awake for the whole thing. Now, normally you need to know, I am, I am now not that big of a Tom Cruise fan. I, I kind of used to be back in the old school days, you know, but I don't know if it's like the whole Oprah Winfrey incident or... Uh, Scientology, or that the reality is, I don't know if you know this, but Tom Cruise is not that much taller than a large hobbit. I mean, he's like that, <laughs> that tall. So they dress him up like he's a, you know, an action hero or something. But anyway, but I really enjoyed this movie. Somebody said that it's, it was a, cr a cross between Groundhog Day and uh, Starship Troopers. But no matter what, if you're looking for a good action flick to go see, go see it. It's a good movie. Now, like all the other movies that we've talked about and used in this series, there are a bunch of different directions that we could go in today. And by the way, if you're new today, you're wondering, is he going to preach from this movie? No, that's not what today is about. Um, what we've been doing in the series is simply, you know, using a popular movie over the summer and uh, just using it as a hook. You know, in all movies, there are, there are themes, there are, uh, you know, subject matter that maybe is worth discussing or talking about because in the culture, they are talking about it. So instead of condemning the culture or imitating the culture or putting our hand, uh, head in the sand, let's talk about it. So there's a bunch of different ways we could go with this particular movie today. We could talk about how uh, Tom Cruise's character, Major Cage, goes from being a self-centered coward into a real hero, uh, willing to protect, you know, do anything to protect those that he loves. We could talk about uh, courage 
We could talk about bravery, uh, camaraderie. Uh, we could also talk about, uh, you know, there's a love story here. And I, sometimes I, I tell my wife that there's a love story in an action movie just to get her to come. But there actually is a love story in this movie. And um, uh, there's this willingness to sacrifice self, you know, to do whatever it takes to protect those that you love. But the real theme of this movie, to me, or at least the one that I want us to talk about today is the theme of second chances, second chances. And I, I want to set the, set the theme, the, set the stage for you of what happens in this movie without kind of spoiling the whole thing for you. But basically the idea is this. The world is at war and uh, we've been overrun by these alien hordes. And uh, all of Europe has been overrun. And the, the world forces kind of gather together for this one final last ditch effort to save the planet. Now, having never been a combat soldier before, although in the military, uh, Major Cage all of a sudden finds himself on the front lines of the largest last-ditch invasion effort to, to, uh, to save the war or to save the world. And he finds himself there because basically he has threatened a general. Now, it kind of the beginning of the movie kind of looks like a scene from... Uh, the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan. A much better movie worth seeing, by the way. But, um, except that it's against aliens. Now, uh, Tom Cruise kind of stumbles along in this kind of awkward battle gear that he's having to wear. And he manages to survive for five minutes. About five minutes. However, while he's dying on the beach, he manages to accidentally kill one of these larger aliens. And the alien blood mixes with his blood. And as a result, when he dies, he finds himself awoke, awakened to where he started the day before. By the way, stuff like that happens every day. No, I'm just kidding. That's what I tell my, I tell my kids all. Stuff like that all the time. That happens. But so he relives the whole day. Kind of like, again, kind of like the Groundhog Day movie. But, but this time... When he goes to battle, when he goes to war, he lasts a little bit longer, and he goes a little bit further. Then he dies again, and then he dies again, and again, and again, and again, like 750 times. But each time, he, he learns something new, and he goes a little bit further. Now, eventually, he learns he's not the only person who's had this ability, and he gets some new friends and a newfound love interest, and they work together to... Battle the aliens and save the world. Or do they? You'll have to see the movie. Anyway, raise your hand this morning if you are thankful for second chances. Raise your hand. Second chances. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you remember that day when uh, you were in school. And uh, did you love it when the teacher came into class after a brutal test a brutal exam, and everybody was talking about it. Everybody knew they did terrible. Well, the teacher came in and announced that, yes, you all did terrible, but they weren't going to count the, the test. Everybody got a do-over. Everybody got a second chance. And so they kind of the teacher said, hey, we're just going to use this test as a practice exam, and everybody else gets a second chance. Didn't you love when that happened? I mean, that was awesome. Or maybe, guys, you, you blew... That first impression that you made on that young, special girl. And uh, before you were going to ask her out. 
And, uh, but you got another opportunity. Weren't you thankful for second chances on that day? I know Pastor Scott was. He blew it with Lori many times. Where, anyway, okay. Um, but we love second chances. You know, whether it's a, a car wreck, uh, cancer, a bankruptcy, a divorce. You know, something, something terrible happened, but somehow, some way, you got a second chance. You got a new lease on life. You got a do-over. You got a fresh start, uh, a new beginning. We love second chances. I remember uh, one of the first times I ever got a chance to play golf. And if you know me, you know, I'm not, real, I'm not a golfer. Uh, I play golf like maybe once or twice a year. Um, but I remember one of the first times I ever got to play golf on a real golf course. Not putt-putt, not a par three, but a real golf course. And uh, it was awful. I mean, it was just terrible. I was, I was hitting houses. I was uh, killing small animals. I was, uh, you know, injuring people. It, it, was a, it was just a terrible, terrible experience. Except, except I learned a brand new word for my vocabulary. In fact, it's one of the greatest words in the history of words. After a terrible, terrible shot, my more than patient golf partner said, that's okay, Pastor Chris, just take a mulligan. Mulligan. I mean, I'm like, a mulligan? What's a mulligan? I mean, is that like hard liquor or something? I mean, like, you know, because I could use that and I don't drink. He's like, no, 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 a mulligan. He said, Pastor Chris, it's a, you know, a do-over. It's a, you know, that shot that you took, that doesn't count. You know, it just, just like it never happened, you know, you get to take another shot. And when he said that, I'm, I'm serious. It felt like the heavens had opened up, you know, angels started singing, and I became the mulligan boy. I mean, it was like a, a superhero, and I kind of ran that into the ground, as you can imagine. But, um... Here's the good news that I want you to hear loud and clear today. And if you're taking notes, this is the first blank on your outline. Listen to me. Our God, he is the God of second chances. He, he is the God of the do-over. This morning, you might, you might remember, he is the God of the mulligan. Um, he loves to take, listen, if you've been at Coastal for any length of time, you've heard this, you know this. He loves to take ordinary people. In fact, I no, I would go a, a step further. Our God likes to take less than ordinary people, messed up people, people with a past, people like you and me, and he loves to take those people and do something extraordinary in their lives. Now, here is the honest truth today, and this is just the reality. A whole lot of you probably don't believe that. Now, it's one thing for me to stand up here and to say it and for you to hear it, and you've probably heard it before, but here's why I think some of you don't believe what I just said, that God is the God of the second chances, that he loves to do something extraordinary with ordinary people. It's, it's this. You think that your past is, is too messed up. You think that you have done things and experienced things that in your mind today, as you're sitting here underneath this tent, you're thinking, well, what I've done, Pastor Chris, it disqualifies me. I'm not like everybody else. You don't know what I did last week, last night, this past year. 
I, I am now disqualified forever by, from being used by God in any kind of significant way. Now, here's the good news of why you're here today. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is not finished with you. If you are not dead, God is not done. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope, plans to give you a future. Now, maybe the reason I get so excited when we talk about this stuff is because, you know, when we started this church 25 years ago, I feel like this has been one of the common themes of, of our church, one of the common things that we've been trying to communicate to people. You know, in John 10, 10, one of the theme verses around here, Jesus said, I have come that you might have what? What's the word? Life and have it more abundantly, have it to the full. You see right there, God says, listen, I'm not finished with you. I came that you might have life and that you might experience it. He wants you to have it more abundantly. And here at Costa, we believe that. But again, there's a lot of you, maybe, maybe some of you feel like, well, Pastor Chris, again, that sounds good, but not for me. You know, maybe somebody else, but, but not for me. You don't know my failures. You don't know my past. And I will stand up here this morning and say, you're right, I don't. But I know that God does. And I know that God says that you are worth it. I know that God said he's not finished with you yet. You see, the Bible at its core, the core message of Scripture is one of redemption. It is one of second chances. It is one of do-overs. It's all about God going to great lengths to do whatever it takes to bring you back to him, to draw you to himself. It's the very reason why he sent Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. And then the Bible is just full of example after example after example of men and women who had absolutely blown it. I mean, completely messed up people. And a lot of times, you know, we, for some reason, we don't see them that way. And yet, over and over again in Scripture, you see, because of their moral failures, that their absolutely jacked up lives, they actually thought, like some of you, that God could never use them again. They thought their time had passed. But over and over again, the story is, if they would simply trust God, they were forgiven, they were restored, and then God did something amazing in their lives. Now, I think, in general, there are two categories of people here today who think that God can't use them. Now, the first category of people who believe that, who believe that God can't use them, are people who think that because of their circumstances, because of their circumstances, God can never use them again. The reason God can't use them is that, you see, God doesn't use people that, are, that have my family background. You know, Pastor Chris, God can't use people like me from my side of the tracks. He doesn't use people with, with my lack of education. He doesn't use people with my socioeconomic background. Basically, you feel like you've been dealt a bad hand, and because of that, the cards are kind of stacked against you in life, and so therefore, you're never going to be anything of value in God's sight, and he's never going to be able to use you. Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, see, I don't necessarily blame God for it, but these are my circumstances, and God's never going to be able to use me. Well, there's a story in the Bible about a guy who pretty much fits that scenario. He endured incredibly 
difficult, terrible circumstances that were out of his control. In fact, this was a guy that if he wanted to, you would expect that he would just cash it all in and absolutely give up. In fact, we did a whole series on this guy one time a couple of years ago. And yet, he remained faithful. And he put his trust in God, and God ends up doing something amazing in his life because God wasn't finished with him yet, because God is the God of the second chance. His name is Joseph, and his story begins in Genesis 37. What I like about the story, first of all, is that it kind of goes bad for Joseph at about the age of 17, kind of an older teenager here at our church. Joseph experienced a series of just terrible events. Raise your hand if you think you come from a crazy family. Anybody here got a whack job family? Okay, pretty much we all do if we're honest, okay? Joseph was hated by his siblings, hated by his brothers. He was his father's favorite, so his brothers, get this, they didn't just hate him, they, they beat the crap out of him. They, they wanted to kill him, but instead they decided they were going to make some money off of him, and they sold him into slavery. So in a matter of hours, Joseph goes from being his dad's favorite boy to being a lowly slave of a henchman in Egypt. He's only 17 years old. Now when he lands in Egypt, he decides he's going to work hard. And instead of blaming God for his circumstances, he's determined to become the very best slave that he can become. His master Potiphar noticed how hard he was working and makes him his own personal administrative assistant. But then it gets worse again. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. But being a man of God, Joseph stays away from her. But one day she actually grabs him, throws herself on him, and then he decides just to take off and run. But she gets ticked off and she, uh, she accuses him of attempted rape. And then he's thrown back into prison. Now, after he's in prison for a while, and desert, he becomes a model prisoner and deserves early release. But the guy who could have got it, gotten him released forgets about him, forgets about him. And so here's Joseph. He got undeserved treatment from his family, unexpected restrictions from his circumstances, untrue accusations from people all around him, and unfair abandonment from a friend that he once had helped. Now, how would you respond in a time of discouragement like that? You know, what would your reaction be to year after year after year of terrible, awful circumstances out of your control? You might expect Joseph to be bitter toward God, but he remained faithful, and he put his hope and his trust in God, and God wasn't finished with him yet. God is the God of the second chance. Joseph gets a mulligan. Now get this. Joseph goes from being in a pit to being a slave to being a prisoner. And then, all of a sudden, God does the unbelievable. You ought to read the story if you get a chance when you go back home. He raises Joseph to become the second in command in all of Egypt underneath Pharaoh himself. And then God uses him in this just mastermind plan to save two nations from famine, Egypt and his own nation, the children of Israel. And then 20 years later, when his brothers, the very, yeah, the very same brothers who had beat him to a pulp, threw him in a pit, 
and sold them to slavery. Now they come back to Egypt 20 years later begging for food so they and their, their people won't die. Guess who they have to go beg for food from? Joseph. Now it's, it's 20 years later, so they don't, they don't recognize Joseph at first. The last time they had seen Joseph, you know, he was about 17 years old. Now he's like 40. So here's Joseph. He's got the, the perfect opportunity for revenge. I mean, the, the very people who had ridiculed him, beat him, sold him, now Joseph has the power over life and death over them. But I want you to listen to Joseph's response. This is from Genesis 45. Then Joseph said to his brothers, again, they've come to get food. And Joseph is, is in charge of feeding all of these nations. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. Now, right there, you got to think they're freaking out, right? I mean, they're ready just to hightail it and run. And he says, no, no, no. Don't be distressed. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. In fact, listen to what he said in Genesis 50, verse 20. He said, as far as I am concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. He brought me to the high position that I have today so that I could save the lives of many people. Now again, today, I don't know the hand that you were dealt. I don't know the circumstances that you find yourself in today. I don't know the pain that has been put on you by other people today. But here's what I do know. Our God is not finished with you yet. Our God is the God of second chances. And what other people might even have meant for evil in your life, our God has this amazing ability to use whatever it was that was put on to you, he can still turn it around and use it for good. So much so, just like Joseph, he could even use it to save the lives of many people. Look at, look at Romans 8.28. It says this, And we know that our God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, there's a whole other category of people here today, though, who think that God can't use you. Not just those of you who feel that way because of your circumstances, but this is probably the largest group of people and probably the largest group of people that are here today. It's not the cards that you were dealt. It's not the circumstances that are beyond your control. It's the mistakes that you've made. You see, I believe there's a man or there's a woman here today who would shout out and say, you, you see, Pastor Chris, it's me. I made the decision. I walked away from God. I'm not here blaming anybody else but myself. I'm damaged goods. You see, I am beyond the reach of God, not because of my circumstances, but because of what I did. And sometimes if the truth were told, you show up to a church service like this because deep down inside your heart, you just hope, you hope beyond all hope that maybe, just maybe, you could earn a few brownie points and when it's all said and done, God would turn his head for a second and maybe, just maybe, you could slip into heaven. 
But you're here today and you feel like, you know what, there's no way, though, that God could ever use me for anything significant. He couldn't use me to accomplish anything great. Maybe there is more to life, but I've made my bed and now I've got to sleep in it. Now, this is where it gets really good. And I love talking to people who feel exactly the way I just described. Because the Bible is full of real people, just like you and just like me, who have screwed up morally, who have messed up so bad that they just thought it was all over. You know, people like Moses, we, we look at Moses and we think, man, well, he, he was one of the greatest leaders of all time. You know, the man that God used to set his people free and lead them into the promised land. But, you know, before Moses did that, you know what he was? He was a murderer with a speech impediment. But God wasn't finished with him. Or maybe a woman like Rahab. She was a prostitute in a pagan land and sold her body to anybody that would pay for it. And yet God used her in a mighty way to hide two Israelite spies before God's people overtook Jericho. But what's interesting about her story is that's not even the end of her story. Way after she dies in Matthew chapter 1, Rahab is listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. A former prostitute. And yet she gets a mulligan. And then there's David. You, again, some of you know David. You think, man, great leader, David and Goliath, you know, great king, uh, led the nation of Israel. But he was a murderer and he was an adulterer. And God wasn't finished with him. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, honestly, for the longest time, Paul didn't even have a relationship with God. All he had was religion. He was a legalistic Pharisee who persecuted Christians and prided himself in keeping the law. He helped round up believers and put them to death. But God wasn't finished with him. And he meets Jesus and he becomes one of the great leaders of the church and he writes half of the New Testament. You know, again, I could just keep going and going and going. But one of my favorite examples is a guy by the name of Peter. And I think, you know, if we took a poll in a room this size, especially those of you maybe who grew up in church, and if I were to ask you, is there, a, is there a person in the Bible that you feel like you could most relate to? I think many of you would probably name uh, the Apostle Peter. Because Peter was just so human, so real. I mean, one minute he's up, the next minute he's down. He, he talks before, he thinks, he's always sticking his foot in his mouth. You know, one minute he's walking on the water, you know, defending Jesus, and the next minute he's sinking and he abandons Jesus. In fact, there was one decision, one failure that Peter makes all on his own. And I'm sure he felt like it was all over because this mistake was just too big of a mistake. You know, he, he'd gone too far. He felt like he could never come back. In fact, if you know the story, it's in the, the final hours of Jesus' life, before Jesus is arrested, that they are, they are in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus tells all of his disciples, including Peter, all of you are going to desert me. All of you at some point are going to abandon me. And I want you to listen 
to the exchange that follows between Jesus and Peter. Peter replied, or, or Peter, Jesus replied, the truth is, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you are going to deny me three times. No, no way, Peter insisted. Not even if I have to die with you. I will never deny you. Now, when you just read that, when you hear that, honestly, it doesn't really seem that bad because, you know, Peter's just being Peter. He's just boasting a little bit. But later that same night, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He's seized by the soldiers. And then the questioning begins. And then the beatings begin. And all the disciples, just like Jesus said, take off running. They all go in hiding. But then it gets even worse. Mark chapter 14, listen to this. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming herself, warming himself, she looked at him and said, Hey, you, you too, you were with Jesus from Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. And then he went out onto a porch, and the maid saw him. And began once more to say to the people gathered, this is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, hey, surely you're one of them, for, for you're a Galilean too. And listen to this. But then he began to curse and swear. I don't know this man you're talking about. Damn it, I don't know him. And immediately, a cock crowed. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And he began to weep. Now talk about going too far. Talk about making the decision all on your own. Not circumstances that are kind of set up against you, but this is what he did. He's got to think, there's no way I can recover. Now, you know the story. Jesus is crucified. Three days later, just like he said he would, he comes back to life. He raises from the dead. He appears to the disciples. But Peter knows what he did. He knows that these were circumstances on his, by his own hand, his own mouth, his own doing. So he walks away. In fact, he's so dejected. Listen to what he says in John chapter 21. Listen to this. He says, I'm going fishing. In other words, I'm going to go back to doing what I did before I met Jesus. I'm done. There's no way Jesus will have anything to do with me. Now, Peter and some of the disciples are out fishing, and Jesus meets them on the shore. And he builds a fire, and around that fire, after they had eaten, he looks Peter in the eye, and he says this, Peter, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He, saw, he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, Peter, feed my sheep. Now, what's amazing about that little statement is, in other words, what Jesus was saying to Peter, the man who had cursed him, the man who had abandoned him, he's saying, Peter, I'm not finished with you yet. 
You get a mulligan. You get a do-over. I got this big assignment for you. You get to be the very first preacher of the early church. You get to shepherd my flock. So Jesus returns to heaven. All the disciples gather in a room in Jerusalem. The Bible says they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up in front of thousands of people, and he boldly proclaims Jesus to all the movers and shakers of Israel. Basically, he stands up and he says this. He says, men of Israel, listen to me. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man who lived among us, but he proved to be of God by the miracles and the signs that he performed, and all of you know it. You conspired to crucify him, but Jesus, but God raised him from the dead, and we all know it because we witnessed it. And now this Jesus whom you crucified, God has exalted him to the right hand of the Father. And now he is the Lord. He is the Christ. And one day he's going to come and he's going to judge all of you. Now that's the same man whose courage wilted in front of a little servant girl just weeks earlier. And now he stands up and he boldly proclaims Jesus to thousands of people. And do you know the Bible says that that day 3,000 people accepted his message and were baptized. And that started the early church. And you and I are here today because of that message that started there 2,000 years ago. So Peter continues to preach. He continues to heal. He continues to speak. He even was arrested and was thrown in jail and was ordered by the Romans to stop. And he says this, I'm sorry, I obey God. I don't obey you. In fact, in Acts 4.13, we see this. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized these were just unschooled, ordinary men but they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, here's the story. God wasn't finished with Peter. He's not finished with you. Peter had abandoned Jesus in his time of greatest need. Not only did he abandon him, he cursed him. And he denied that he even knew him. But God wasn't finished with him. He's not finished with you. Our God is the God of the second chance. Our God is the God of the mulligan. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you think has been so bad where you've been. Listen, God is not finished with you. He's just waiting on you to trust him. And here's the good news. Whatever God starts in you, he actually finishes. Philippians 1.6 says, And I'm sure that God, who began a good work in you, will continue it until it's finally finished when Jesus Christ comes back again. And not only that, it gets even better and better and better. Not only is God not finished with you, but again, if you'll just trust him, he will actually give you the desire to obey him and the power to do it. Philippians 2.13, For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. Don't you see? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been, your circumstances, your failures. God loves you. And he's not finished with you. He is the God of the second chance. He came that you might have life 
and have it more abundantly. You know, today, you could walk out of here fully alive. Fully alive. Today's the day that you could come home. Today's the day you could use that mulligan. You could have that second chance. Regardless of your circumstances and regardless of your mistakes, you could come home today. You simply have to trust him. Now I'm going to bow my head and I'm going to pray. And maybe you're here today and you'd like to, you'd like a do-over. You'd like a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. It doesn't matter. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Father, today I thank you that you are the God of the second chance. You're the God of the fresh start, the new life, the clean slate. You're the God of the mulligan. Father, I believe there are people here today who feel like because of their circumstances, because of their mistakes, they could never be forgiven and never be used by you in a mighty way. Father, I pray today that we have seen all through Scripture, all through history, that that's not the truth. You're simply waiting on us. You're waiting on people to turn around and come home. You're waiting on us to just simply ask to be forgiven, to simply put our trust and our faith in you and you alone. So if you're here today and you're ready to come home, you're ready to trust God, you're ready to be forgiven, to start over, Cry out to your Heavenly Father right now. Just say, it really doesn't matter the exact words that you say. What matters is your heart. And God can see your heart today. Cry out to Him and say, Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me. Today I want to start over. I want another chance. Father, I have blown it in more ways than I can count. In fact, not only have I run away from you, but I've pushed you out of my life. I've been bitter because of circumstances. I felt shame because of my mistakes. But today I simply ask for forgiveness and I want to come home. I believe that Jesus is your son. That he rose from the dead and he is alive. My, my sin, it was my mistakes, my failure that put him on that cross. But your love and your power is so great that it rose him from the dead and he is alive. I turn my back on my former way of life, God, and I turn toward you and your loving, forgiving arms. Father, for the rest of my days, I simply want to follow Jesus and live for you. Not to earn anything, not to work for my salvation, but to simply thank you for it. To thank you that today you have made me alive. To thank you that today I've been made clean and whole and brand new. And Father, I pray for our church. I pray for Coastal. That we would be a church that proclaims that message to anyone and everyone. That you are the God of the second chance. That you are the God of the fresh start. The do-over. The mulligan. God, help us to not see people that we come into contact with as our enemies, but to see them as the objects of your love, the reason why we exist, to reach out to people, to make a difference in this world, to change this world one life at a time. 
We love you, Father, and I pray these things today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, listen, if you're here today and you made a decision to follow Christ, or you'd like some, you have some questions about that, or you'd like to get baptized, on the back of your Connect card, uh, just check any one of those boxes that's appropriate. Hey, today we're going to continue in worship by uh, taking the Lord's Supper, communion. Uh, all around the tent on the outer aisles uh, and even up front, you'll find tables that contain uh, pieces of bread and cups of juice. They are symbols of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And you know, this, this weekend, uh, uh, just two days ago was the 4th of July, uh, Independence Day, the day where we as a country celebrate our independence. Really, that's what this meal is all about. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate, to remember those who have sacrificed, to remember the one who sacrificed it all. And it gives us a chance to celebrate our freedom, to celebrate our dependence on God. So when you're ready, when you're prepared, you don't have to be a member of Coastal. You can go to one of the tables uh, on the outer edge of the tent. You can go with friends or family. You can go alone. You can pray in a group or uh, you can go back to your seat in quiet reflection. But when you're ready, let's continue to worship right now by taking the Lord's Supper.